Tonight we're going to be in two spots, 2 Timothy chapter 3, as well as a little bit in Matthew 24. The title of tonight's message is Recognizing and Responding to Perilous Times. You know, this message came out of countless conversations over the past couple of months about people that, you know, pray and come to church and listen to worship music and persevere, but they just feel like there's just, it's harder, right? How many of you would agree that we are living in more difficult times than we've been used to? It seems like the world is getting crazier, right? That's what people would, would tend to think. People are saying, is it just me? Is, is something wrong with me spiritually? Am I just in a fog because there's something I'm not doing? It's as if people seem shocked by what they're seeing play out in the season that we're living in. But people are feeling the effects and they're not seeing the cause. You know, the Bible says that we are living in the times that the prophets often spoke about. And tonight I want to look at Paul's letter to Timothy in the third chapter. And I want to look at some of the behaviors. And if you stick with me, it's going to be a little bit more of an in-depth kind of word study. But I'm, I'm assured that you will see some things that you might not have seen before. And when I start, when I was studying this, I've been studying this for a while. There were things that the Lord just began to open my eyes to and show me things in my own life. You know, I always look at things from the perspective of what's going on in me, right? I don't ever want to get up here and preach. You should, you should do this. Y'all should do that. It's always, okay, what's going on in me? And out of those things, I try to present to you. We also look at deception and what is some of the commonplace deceptions. The Bible says that in the last days, there would be seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. But most importantly, as we look through those things, I want to see the flip side of that and how we can apply this life application to us. You see, just because we see what's going on, we can be part of the solution and not part of the problem. So here's the questions. Is this going on in me? Do I see it around me? And do I see it in other believers or my family? You see, if we worry about ourselves, if we worry about the people that we are influencing, things will begin to change. Because people will see what's going on in the inside of you, and when they see the adjustments that the Holy Spirit makes on the inside of, of us, it attracts people because the gospel is powerful. The greatest endeavor you and I will ever partake in is studying the Word of God. There is nothing better than that. There is nothing more life-giving than that, than understanding these Bible truths and applying them to your life and walking them out. You see, Timothy needed a lot of encouragement. In between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, things went from bad to worse. We've already seen a drastic change from, say, the 50s, right, until now. I mean, it's like it gets 10 times worse every single decade. Timothy was navigating the Ephesus church through tough times, through persecution, through scandal. People were abandoning their faith. And even so, persecution was so, so high in Rome, it actually was leaking into the four provinces of Rome, and one of them was Ephesus. Timothy was full of anxiety. He was full of worry as government corruption was knocking on his door. 
the emperor Nero had risen to power, and towards the end of his reign, he got worse and worse and worse. He became so so lustful for power that he began to try to burn Rome to rebuild it and erect it as a as a place for his kingdom. In fact, as he started to build statues of himself, the, the Congress and the Senate began to look at this and say, man, it, did Nero have this done? And then this is what happened. Nero began, before he would go to trial, began to say, no, it was not me that did this. It was those Christians. And these are some of the arguments that Nero used. He would say, those are a bunch of cannibals because their leader said that you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Then they began to say that they were insurrectionists because they talked about another king and another kingdom. Oh, and these fires. Their, their Bible says that there would be a consuming fire and God would judge the whole world. So maybe they're just self-fulfilling this prophecy. These are some of the things that the media of that day began to twist and turn and everybody started to point at the Christians and then the battle was on. Now rumors spread and people began to hide and people began to see, man, Paul's in prison. If we're affiliated with Paul, we ourselves will get in trouble. And it looked as if they were taking over Rome. They were misunderstood to their enemies. Does that sound like us today as Christians? Do people know what we stand for? Or they just know what we stand against. See, the, the church was living in somewhat of a peaceful state, but it got into hyperspeed of corruption. People began to scatter. There were people that stayed there, and people did lose their lives for the gospel. And then Timothy became fearful. And that's why Paul would encourage Timothy to continue on in the faith. And I can uh, tell you tonight, wherever you are, whatever persecution comes, whether it's on the job, the family, or worldwide, keep your head in the game, keep your, your back full of steel, and keep marching forward. Amen? See, we are living in the last days. People say, well, they've been saying that for years, and they're absolutely true. The last days started in Acts. When the, when, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts, in chapter 2, and, and they began to speak with other tongues, if you remember, Peter pointed to what was going on and said, this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And then if you read that prophecy, it covers an entire time span from the, the birth of the church, which began the church age, or the age of grace, and as that continued on, you get into blood, fires, and pillars of smoke, and the moon being turned to blood, and the sun becoming darkened. You see a 2,000-year period being covered there. And soon and very soon, the church age is going to wrap up. We're going to go into the tribulation period, not us, but those that are left behind. And then from then on, we'll go into the millennial reign. Then after the 1,000 years is eternity. So we are closing in on the end of the church age. And God will begin to deal with people differently. It will be called, it would be called the time of Jacob's trouble. God, you can already see the focus going back to Israel and Israel one day will be the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. We see them climbing day by day even now. That's the introduction. So let's keep going. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited lovers of pleasure than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. I think we can get through this pretty quickly. Number one, this is the first point. Know this. This is the win. But realize this in the last days. The last days is where we get the word eschatos, which is eschatology, the study of end time events. It's as if the Holy Spirit has grabbed Timothy and said, listen to me, realize this. This is an emphatic statement. Jesus will say it again in Matthew 24 when he says, look at me and listen well, this will happen. And listen, you can't pray it away. You can't fast it away. You can fast and pray that the Antichrist doesn't show up on the scene. That will not happen. He is coming down the pipe. <laughs> That's not a woo. That's a bad thing. But we will not be here. Praise God. 2 Timothy 3.13. This is what he says. But evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse. So once again, Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy and he's covering a time period of the last days. But as it gets to the end, at the last of the last, in other words, when in the Greek, it's like you're going to the end of a port and you cannot go any further. He's saying when you get to the very end of days, this is what you will see. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you all kind of Greek words. You either trust that I studied it or you don't. <laughs> but anyway, at the end of some of these words is a word oi. Or, or, yeah, a suffix, I guess you would say, Nathan, English, correct? Okay, suffix. <laughs> Still, we're in a battle between adjective and adverbs. I say, I think I'll win that battle, but I doubt it. Anyway, oi means widespread. So what, you know, they've always had these problems. But this will become the widespread and the normal. This is what I am framing the context that I want you to see. So in the Greek means well, it'll be perilous times. What does that mean? A time of drained strength. Some of you have said that, man, I'm just always tired. I'm tired when I wake up. I'm tired at lunch. I'm tired at supper. Some of, some of it might be vitamin deficiency. Some of it might be these different diets and all these things, but some of it may be spiritual. You see, when you see this word uh, perilous, it's the same word that is used when it talks about the demoniac of Gadara, fierce times. In other words, that's the only other time it's used when Jesus came upon the demoniac and it was exceedingly fierce. And, and when you study this out, it's as if in the Greek mindset is someone standing in a spot and all the way around them, this is all that they can see. Fierce, scary, fearful, strength draining times. This is the beginning. Now listen, sometimes we would escape into entertainment, right? We'd ex escape into politics. <laughs> I don't know who does that, but you might escape into politics or you might escape into sports. Notice how all of these things can become taxing to you now because now things will come up that don't need to come up, right? And, and the things that you looked for as a, a place of refuge from the things that 
that worry you, that fear, that make you fearful are now in every area of where you try to escape. If not, maybe it's just me. <laughs> but I doubt that. So let's look at some of the characteristics. You see, Jesus said in the last days, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. That means everything that we grab a hold to, to try to have peace or all these different things, that stuff is being shaken to where we can keep our eyes focused only on the hand of God. Here's some of the characteristics. Selfishness, 2 Timothy 3.2, for men will be lovers of self. Now, this is not just, oh, I have good self-esteem. This is an over-infatuation and enamoring of the love of self. In other words, it's, it's the word that Peter, I mean, that Judas used when he kissed Jesus. And it's phileo autoi. It means love, auto, where we get the word autobiography. Lover of self. And when Judas kissed Jesus, he kissed him multiple times. It was emphatic. It was over and over. It wasn't just a kiss on the cheek. It was a weird kiss. <laughs> Let's just say that. And it's saying in the last days, men will love themselves so much that every thought, everything that they think about, want to do, is about them. We are in the my, I am generation, right? I am. It's, it's about me. It's my truth, my rights, my entitlement, right? Then this goes to a natural progression of lovers of money. In other words, all of our money goes to what we love. If you want to see what somebody loves, open your pocketbook. You spend money on what you love. You fund what you love. Materialism goes through the roof in these days. So many people spend their health gaining wealth, and then they have to spend their wealth to regain their health. So if you think about it, it's an enamoring with self. We see that on Facebook, right? All this selfie stuff. People post a picture of themselves, put some obscure verse that has nothing to do with their eyeshadow or their muscles. No? Maybe it's just people I'm friends with? That's a joke. Huh. Number two, well, a second part of this, circumstantial ethics. Boastful, arrogant, revilers. Watch what boastful means. Boastful is related to self-principle or motive-driven living. It's going from the fish size all the way to political corruption. It covers the gamut of everything. Think about it is, we see it in politics, we see it in entertainment. It, it, it's changing the truth based on a situation or a circumstance. I mean, you could change from channel to channel and see different spins on the truth. That's what boastful means, to stretch the truth, to leave aspects of the truth out, to, to compromise the truth, to fit your agenda. It says, in the last days, that will be rampant than arrogant or proud. It comes from above and manifest. In other words, the mentality of people, they will think so highly of themselves that they will look down on people that have moral and spiritual absolutes. In other words, they think that they're better than others. They think that they have evolved intellectually and they look at people that believe the Bible and, and walk around and, and call them Bible-believing idiots and all of these other things make us look outdated and primitive. And they look down from their high balcony of their own mindset and they, they don't value what Bible-believing Christians think. 
Then it says revilers or blasphemers. This is not just blaspheming God. It's meaning that when we get to the end of these days, it will be, language will be crude. It will be so perverse. It will be so dirty that even when you watch nightly news, and I'm going to keep going back to politics because eventually you see this in all that aspect. I mean, you see it in entertainment. You see it in all of these things. It's just language is so cruel and crude and celebrated nowadays. And I'm not trying to be some old fogey. I'm only 41. So I'm not like, oh, man, kids today. I'm not one of those. (laughs) But you can see it. Truth is truth. Then family and civil disintegration of values. 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 4. Disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. What does all of this mean? Disobedient to parents. In other words, when you get to the end, you're going to have kids that are unpersuadable, uncontrollable. It will feel as if you have lost all control of them. You will, it, parents get to a place where they wring their hands and say, I don't know what to do with Johnny. I don't know what to do with Sue. I, 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 I feel like I'm losing my mind. It seems like you have lost all influence on them. And it's producing a generation of people that are buying into the truth that is being taught to them by people on TV, on radio, on all these other aspects because we are losing the influence with our children because we don't spend time with them. We don't teach them things, right? How many of you spend time with your kids or grandkids? I want to encourage you. That might be like a foreign thought process, but that is how you plow truth in that rocky ground of worldliness that embeds every area of people if we just go go our separate ways. Now, think about this. When we have our the truth of the Bible, it looks outdated and primitive to people, right? You'll say, man, but the Bible says this, and they kick into this moral superiority. People, I'm not saying, just saying kids. I'm saying family members, friends, and all of a sudden, oh, here we go with the Bible again, right? It, it, they, they look at their morality, and they, they take it and put it above the Bible. Then you have ungrateful or unthankful. This is an entitlement generation. This is people that feel like they deserve the privileges, that they deserve money without a job, right? That they deserve all of these things, that they deserve, like, I am here, hear me roar, and I need what I need, and I need to have it now. And this is what happens. When we become this way, we, we've lost our thankfulness to God. If, you, if we become unholy, it's what, what happens is we begin to think that I can do this on my own, that I am owed this. Listen, we are owed nothing from God, nothing. We need to know that. We need to understand that that needs to be the, 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 in the embodiment of who we are because that is what makes grace so amazing. If you think God just comes into your already good life and just dust it up a little bit, you're not going to have this grace and power that you want from God because you kind of think you deserve your already good kind of good life. Amen? And so it produces an unthankfulness because we feel like we can get these things ourselves. Romans one twenty one sums it up. It says, because when they knew 
and recognized him as God, they did not honor him or glorify him or give God thanks. But instead, they became futile and godless in their thinking with vain imaginings, foolish reasoning and stupid speculations. And their senseless mind became darkened. Unloving is another word that's used. It's without natural affection. In this context, it's family. It means that there is not a natural love between spouses or fathers to children, mothers to children, children to fathers. And we see this. It's manifested. I saw in one of the news reports in the United States, approximately 500 children are murdered by their own parents every year. And that's not counting the 60 million abortions since 1973. So we see a society where it seems uncontrollable, right? It seems as if things are getting crazier. Then it says untrustworthy, unmerciful. We're living in a time where we become unmerciful. Somebody cuts us off in traffic, we want to pull them off of the side of the road and beat them to death. That's ridiculous. We have family members that we haven't spoken to in years because of something that happened in Thanksgiving in 1985. That's unmerciful. So I'm telling you this to say, these are the things that are going on during this time, but are these things present in our lives? Listen, I looked over this list, and I'm telling you, starting with me. But the mercy comes when I realize the mercy that I need from Christ. Then it's, you know, when you think about it, it says, irreconcilable or truth breakers. That's divorce. Divorce will be rampant in these times. Malicious gossips or false accusers or slanderers. This word is diaboli, which is diablo, which is devil. <laughs> so if we slander or gossip, we're doing the work of the devil. That's what Paul is saying this time. Listen, one accusation can ruin your entire life nowadays. It's as if Satan is on this earth personally accusing people. Right? We see this all the time. Then without self-control or incontent, this is people that cannot control themselves. It's finances. It's, it's partying. It's all these things. It's, it's going overboard. We don't have the self-control when it comes to eating, right? When it comes to, to, put, to, to doing whatever it is that we do, we can take that recreation and go wild with it. Then incontent. This is power, the Greek word for power. It means that power will be out of control in the last days. And you have to look no further than the halls of Washington to see that. Then brutal or fierce. It's an uncivilized culture. It's a culture that touts, that, it's where, where we get the word actually savage. You know, violent and savage, barbaric. In fact, people will wear shirts that say savage, just like a term of endearment. But really, it's a, it's a, a time where culture will be so uncivilized that it is barbaric in nature. Then haters of good. It's lawlessness. Haters of good was from a time when this didn't even exist. Lawlessness in Rome. Oh, no, you followed the rules. And they're saying there will be a time where people will disregard law. They won't care about things that are right. They'll be haters of good, as a matter of fact, and they'll applaud what's evil. Now, to a Greek mind, they were like, that would never happen. That's a dream. That's a fantasy. But that is reality today. I know this might be a little deep, but I want you to see that this stuff is not out of control. God's not in heaven saying, oh, man, I didn't realize that's how people would be. We are right on schedule. 
But when you see these things, know that he is right at the door. Know that these things may be operating in our own lives and we can know God, live free, right? Find our purpose and make a difference. That's a lot to work with. But when you get to the end of these verses, that will come out and you can see how our mission statement here, our values here play out in every area of our life, not just church. Amen. Then it says, because lawlessness increased, the love of many will grow cold. This is what this looks like. It's a waxing. It's going from numbing to senselessness. We, we could do this in our own personal life. Remember, there was a sin that you dropped when you got saved. You walked away from it. Oh, man, I'm free. Praise God. You go back to it. You become numb. You start to think maybe this isn't so bad. Maybe, maybe people just got issues. All these things. You're waxing cold. Love is growing cold. Because of the lawlessness that is in this earth, it is causing people to grow cold in their love towards other people. Policemen it, see it as lawlessness. The, the person that they pull over is looking at that as lawlessness. It's like it's dividing people. It's dividing races. It's dividing man against woman, child against man. Lawlessness is being increased, and it's causing the love of many to grow cold. That's what's happening. Because lawlessness is increasing, you are noticing in your own self. Listen, I can tell you this for me. In my own self, I can see how love can grow cold. And if you're being honest, you'll see in your life, maybe with a family member, you don't tolerate them as much as you used to. Maybe the neighbor, you don't tolerate them as much as they used to, as you used to. It's the lawlessness. It's the what's the use principle. People are going to be how they are. I just got to take care of me and mine. That's what it means. Second Timothy. Thank you. I appreciate that. I always feel like, man, they ready to go. Second Timothy three, four, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Treacherous is to sell someone short. To break a deal like that, to write somebody off easily. And Judas and Jesus, Judas's part was a way that we see that he wrote Jesus off for 30 pieces of silver. Then it says reckless or heady. That means making fast decisions, making out of like just making a financial decision. This never happens when Shannon and I go out to eat. We don't make reckless decisions. We make long decisions. Right. Like I wish this principle would apply. Right. How many husbands? How many husbands and wives argue over where they want to eat? Every one of you are lying. <laughs> now, maybe not. But anyway, what I'm trying to tell you is people make reckless decisions. In other words, they go all in on a financial purchase or they go all in in, in a decision. Maybe it's uh politics. Once again, we see people make decisions, rash decisions, say something that they shouldn't, and it destroys them. We see this with in entertainment. We see this all over the place. Listen, it's a broad spectrum that affects every area of life. And as I say all these things, I'm sure you can think of stories. You can think of people that you have seen go in the ditch, never to be seen again by something that they said or an opinion that was taken wrong. Right. They just rush into a decision, 
rush, it, rush into something that is said. Rush into an argument. That's what all reckless means. The conceited are high-minded. We know what that looks like, and it's repulsive, right? Don't you just love being around the me, myself, guy or girl? It's all about them. Okay. Lovers of pleasure. This is hedonism. Now, notice it says lovers of pleasure rather than love of God. Not necessarily instead of God. Just we love pleasure more than we love the things of God. That's basically what it's saying. It's not that they they don't love God anymore. They they just go into this pleasureful state and they want to do things more so than be with God or do things that are godly. Number and then we have deception. Second Timothy three five. Listen to this part. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such as these. Form of godliness is little G. Okay? That means it's not God-like. In other words, you'll see people in the last days that will have a form of religion or piety or morality. Secular humanism has this. Their own sense of religious views. But they deny the dunamis power of God. That's always the word for Holy Spirit. So you'll see people that will say things like, oh, I'm a Christian, believe me, but this is what I think about this issue, and it's contradictory to the Bible. You see this all the time. People quote, quote a verse, then they'll quote Lil Wayne or Drake. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just, it's like, oh, wait, a, what, what is this? <laughs> so in other words, they, they take verses, and they use it as a fortune cookie, and then this, they, we think that they're Christian. And they, and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll do things. They'll participate in things and say, oh, I'm a Christian, but so and so or this and that. This is something that we have to guard our own hearts and minds about. Not everybody that says they're a Christian is a Christian. Not everybody that says they're a believer is a believer. What we do is we focus in on a person that looks spiritually moral, that, that maybe talks good or whatever, and we say, well, this is a Christian. And then we go all in with them and they became our, they become our golden calf. Right? Or we do this with pastors. That, that can happen. And then we go all in with them and then they begin to make decisions or do things and it's all okay. Well, then we change our views and we say, if it's so and so, it must be right. That is deception. They take active roles in maybe social justice issues. There's people that take a stance on a social issue, quote some verses, and completely go against what the Bible says. I know that's a little deep, but I'm sure you can think of things. But then look, let's get into Matthew because we'll see how personally these things happen and how it affects us globally. Matthew 24, 3 and 4. When Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him saying, when will these things be? What are the signs of your coming? And Jesus comes out the gate and says, deception. Take heed that no one deceives you. Now, remember, two things here. Timothy, is say, Paul is saying, realize this, and Jesus is saying, realize this. Both of, both of these are emphatic, saying, listen to me and listen to me well. This is going to happen. Take heed. Focus your attention on what I'm about to say. Now, deception means to morally roam, to slide, to slide away from something. You build your life on truth, and you begin to ro morally roam away from that truth. People have 
morals in the world. They, they believe something and then they begin to morally roam away from the thing that they once believed. The Bible also talks about a strong delusion that God would sin because people do not love the truth, right? We have to love the truth. If we don't believe the Bible, we are going to go all over the place spiritually. We're going to go all over the place morally. We live in a time where facts no longer rule, but assumptions take the high level. Theory, it's like people are making a mass exodus from truth and embracing theory. Matthew 24, 5, for many will come in my name saying I'm the, I'm the Christ and will deceive many. We've always read this verse a certain way, but let's look at it and what it is, what it's saying. Deception in the church. What does that look like? Listen, nobody that, that believes, say Mormonism, is going to be able to come behind this pulpit and say that I'm Jesus Christ. So we have this, this safety net of like, okay, well, they're not going to just let anybody up here. We're watching, you know, you watch things on TV. It's like, well, man, that's a man of God. Of course they're going to say something that's right. Right? We always looked at this verse like there'd be some dude in Miami, Florida with a three-piece suit walking around saying, I'm Jesus. Right? You've seen that on TV. And we say, well, that's what that means. That's not what it is saying. You will see that. But this is what it says in the Greek. Many will come to me, will come in my name. Many will come in the authority of the name of Jesus. And they will say, I am the Christ. I am anointed. So they will stand behind pulpits. They will stand on TV, use the name of Jesus, and say, I have an anointing. That's what it's saying. And the Bible says, and they will mislead many. So that tells you that we're not even safe in the realm of the, of the house of God. And, and deception will creep in if you don't know your Bible, right? If you don't know what to believe, you don't know what it says, you cannot trust everything that comes on TV. You can't, you can't trust everything that is said in a religious conversation. We line it up with the word of God. First Timothy 4.1, the spirit expressly says, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. In other words, it's the gospel. They will slowly begin to move away from the truth of the gospel. They will pick up moral and social issues. And listen, that's a byproduct of the gospel, but that is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died on Calvary's cross, that we could not save ourselves, that he was put in a tomb and rose on the third day. And we, you and I, can be made right with God by, by what he's accomplished for us on Calvary. That is the gospel. That alone is the gospel. Every good thing that comes out of our behavior, every, every issue we try to address, whether it's feeding the homeless or, or, or helping the poor, all of that is a byproduct of the gospel that we believe and that we build our life on. Amen? Then it says in 2 Timothy, for the time will come they will not endure wholesome doctrine. I like the way it says it in this translation, so I want to read it to you. It says, they will stand firmly against it, dominated by their own personal cravings. They have ears that desire merely to be gratified and shall gather to themselves an accumulation of teachers. In fact, from the truth, they shall also avert the ear. And as a result, they shall receive a moral twist, which will cause them to believe that which is fictitious. In other words, it will go into morality. And listen, they have a lot of people that claim morality and they don't line up with the Bible, right? 
Amen. Now listen, there's motivational, there's encouraging. I don't want people to think like, if you preach a nice message, that it's not godly, right? That's what people, that's how people put it. It's like, if you talk about end time stuff, it's, you go into pre, mid, or post. That sums up the whole thing. Listen, false teaching comes in hard preaching too. I mean, you, you can't get saved in some people. I mean, they preaching you, like you, you, there's nothing you can do. Even the faith you have isn't good enough, right? Then you have some that say, man, everything's fine and dandy. You're going to go to heaven, just hold on. So you have the broad spectrum, but in the middle, we have to come and build our life on the truth of the gospel and the truth alone. Amen. Then it says this, Luke 21, 9. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, it said it in Matthew. Remember, Jesus is talking about this is what it's going to look like globally. But it says, but Luke brings something to the table that Matthew doesn't. And it says there will be insurrections or this word means revolt or confusion or disorder. We see a lot of revolting in the streets today, right? Jesus said, don't freak out over that. And it says, do not panic or be alarmed or terrified. That's where we get the word terrorism. So we're going to see wars and rumors of wars. We're going to see terrorism, right? We're going to see insurrections and revolts all over the country. And it will be all at one time happening in rapid fashion. And Jesus says, do not fear those things. Do not fear those things. Listen, God is large and in charge. He's on heaven. He's in heaven. He's looking down. He's like, he's saying everything is going perfectly according to plan. You are safe. You will be with me one day. And I want you to continue on in the fight. Continue moving forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And once again, when the last shot is fired, you and I will be standing on the streets of gold in front of the king of kings. And he will reward us for the great and mighty things that we did in his name. Amen? Fear not. That's a command. He's not saying, and I wish people would not fear. He's saying, fear not. Matthew 24, 7. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. This means ethnic group will try to rise over another ethnic group and dominate. Kingdom is basilica. This is religion or thought processes. You can even go down to Republican and Democrat ideologies who try to override each other. It's not just religion. We see this all the time. People are trying to overpower each other in a, a variety of different ways. That's what's happening right before our eyes. And Jesus said that is how it would be before he comes. So now what can you and I do? Look what it says in 2 Timothy 3, 4. 14 and 17. This is the life application. This is what we end with. Live out and stay in biblical truth. I want to read you a verse. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from who you have learned them. And from that childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ. This is knowing God. Continue if you in know God, or if you already know God, continue and know God more. Then it says, all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof and correction and training for righteousness. Listen, inspired by God for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. 
This is how you live free. You learn what the Bible says. You learn what the Bible says about a specific issue that you and I are dealing with. Listen, we talked earlier about unloving, being unloving as, as parents or as kids or whatever. Listen, we need to live free from that. We might have experienced some things, and the Bible teaches us and shows us how to get over those things, how to move past those things. And that's what it's saying here, that that salvation in, in Scripture is profitable for teaching how to live free. And then in that, training for righteousness is finding your purpose. Listen, you and I all have a purpose, and this is what it looks like. You have a purpose in this church. You have a purpose when you go home. You need to be the husband or the wife that, that God has called you to be, right? You need to be the father or the mother. You have to find your purpose in that. In other words, your purpose in all of these things is to glorify God and disciple people and be discipled. That is the issue of the day. So if, you, if the question is, how do I find my purpose? Listen, you can take your spiritual gifts test here, but on the job, your purpose is to be Christ-like and to draw people to Christ. Now, this is what happens. Our attitude, our behavior may look like one of those lists in Timothy and our purpose. And instead of that, we're driving people from God, from Christ. Then it says, so that every man may be and equipped for every good work. That's making a difference. That is our purpose. That is what the church is here for. That is, that should be the purpose in, in each of you, your lives. How do we do that? How do we do that? If we get selfish, put others first, right? I mean, we could go down the list. Morals. How do we get away from false truth? We believe what the Bible says. How do we combat pride? We think of ourselves not based on each other, but as Christ sees us. We don't judge ourselves based on the person beside us. We judge ourselves based on Christ. And if you and I focus how we are with Christ, we'll take a lot less time looking at the speck in our brother's eye. Amen? How do we go against blasphemy? We speak with seasoned salt. We uplift each other. We build each other up. How do we keep things that are deemed as unholy holy? We recognize these things in our own life. We walk out holiness for people to see. We attract people to the things of God. When it comes to slander or gossip, we keep the devil away from our hearts because the Bible says out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So we live free. We learn those things that trigger those, those things that cause us to spout out, right? You know what I'm talking about. I don't need to bring out some points there. And, and we, we understand that the devil is trying to devour people and he's trying to use you and I to do it. And anytime we slander or maliciously gossip, we are doing the work of the devil. How do we help with treacherous and, and being non-committed? We commit. We let our, our, our yes be yes and our no be no. We stay committed in our relationships. We live out what God has called us to do in our own families. God's purpose when he gave you that child is to raise him up to one day seek God. When he gave you a wife, his desire was that you would live out the gospel in front of her, to her, about her, and her the same with you. And when you look at work, the, 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 the God's plan and purpose for your life is to do a day's work, right? And to show people that your reputation reflects the reputation, reputation of Christ. Amen? Now, can we stand? I just want to pray.
Because I know we have a lot to work with here. But listen, if you will go back at this list, and I've been doing this for about a month, and I just look at these things, and I'll just look at my day, and I'll just maul over it in my mind. Which way was I acting more like here? Was I, was I being more like the world is, is being? Cause listen, the whole reason Paul showed this to Timothy is because he was saying, look, this is what's going on in the world and it eventually it'll leak into the church. We bring things from the world in the church, right? We live our life. We come here and we bring whatever mentalities and all these things into the church. So what I want to do is you've, we've gone over this list of things and I just want to pray right now. That God would meet us where we are and he'd begin to change those things. And you might be here and you could say, you know what? Man, I'm, I'm everyone on that list ten times over. And I need Jesus to save me and wash me. I want, I'm going to pray that too. So let's go to, let's have a little bit of time in prayer. Father, we just come right now in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, and I lift up every, everything on this list. And God, I know that your people that are here tonight. Lord, that they may be dealing with some of these issues. God, I'm asking you that you would begin to show them. God, that you begin to let the word of God come alive on the inside of them. God, would begin to change their mindsets, Lord. God, I'm asking that this would not overwhelm them. But Father, we, your word says that your commands are not burdensome. Lord, I'm asking that the joy of the Lord would begin to rise up on the inside of them. Father, I know that we are living in drain, strength-draining times. And God, I'm asking that your peace, your power would overwhelm them, God, as we stay in the game, that we keep moving forward. God, that we realize that we are in a war for the souls of men. And Father, we thank you for that ability to keep moving forward. God, I'm asking that everything on this list would begin to dissipate. God, in that love and joy and peace and patience and grace and mercy would begin to rise up. Father, as we seek to receive that from you tonight. And Lord, I'm praying right now that if there is anybody here that does not know you, God, that you would reveal yourself to them, God. Father, I'm asking that they would repent of their sin, that they would come to know you this night, God. And Father, I just thank you for what you're doing in the lives of your people. Father, I've delivered your word. Father, I trust that you will, you will allow it to grow in their lives. Father, we honor you tonight. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in the lives of your people. And God, we consider it a high privilege to be your children and enlisted in this great army of God. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask. And the church said, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Praise you, Lord. Well, listen, if you prayed that prayer, I'd like you to come up and talk to me about it tonight. And uh, we can give you some things to kind of help you along in your journey. And if not, we want to once again remind you, Wild Game is Friday. Come on out. It's going to be a great time. God bless you and good night.